0: And then, um, oh, I'm gonna turn off these things here. Um, There we go. So um, what I'm gonna do is I'm when I'm gonna count down. I'm gonna go three, two, one, and then I'm gonna snap my fingers. And I want you to do the same thing. And so I'll see on your sound um, a big um, blip, and so I'll know how to line them up. Yeah.
1: Okay, we're going.
0: Okay. Yeah. So here we go. You know three. Two, one, snap. Okay, let's do it synchronized, though. Okay. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah. One, two, three, snap. So that... So you can see on the thing, see the the lines there? Yep. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Um, Okay. So... um, Hello everyone, Uh, welcome back to our podcast on Richard Hooker uh, out of uh, St. Matthew's, the Anglican Church in the Glebe in Ottawa, Ontario. Uh, My name is Reverend Geoffrey Chapman, I'm with uh, Reverend Kevin Flynn, we're both clergy at that parish, and uh, we're talking about Richard Hooker. We're specifically talking about a translation of Richard Hooker, an edition of Richard Hooker um, that was... uh, uh, translated by, oh gosh, um, I'm gonna edit this. Who, is, who are the who are the translators here? Bradley, Little John, and um, okay, so i have to go. Anything? By. Hold on, I'll edit this. <laughs> <laughs> um, go back. Cover. There we go. Um. We're specifically looking at an edition uh, edited and translated by uh, Bradford Littlejohn, Brian Marr, and Bradley uh, Belchner. Um, and we're looking at the preface, and we're going to be going through uh, chapter three today. Um, and one of the things that I want to do, I, I kind of want to go slowly through chapter three because uh, chapter three um, is really, I love how he frames his arguments. Chapter three is really just one. Large sustained argument, broken up into points, and he literally numbers the points one, two, three, four. I think all the way up to fifteen points, um, and I want us to go through uh, each. Actually, no, sixteen points, and I want us to go through them point by point because I think it'll give you a taste for his rhetorical style. It's a, it's a bit different from our modern rhetorical style, but in some ways, it's quite lovely to have things so structured. Uh, right. Indeed. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so I'm going to ask Kevin, if you, if you can be our sort of narrator with your rich baritone voice <laughs> as we go through these things, and uh, sort of lead us through the, the first point, and maybe, maybe give us a bit of background about who he's addressing this to, perhaps before we start. Sure. So in,
1: in the preface, he's, he's addressing his Puritan op- opponents, more radical, uh, reform-minded people, ...who are holding an interpretation of Scripture that predisposes a Presbyterian style of church government. And he says that his opponents have been encouraging their their unique reading of Scripture... ...and that has persuaded lots of other people either to question or altogether uh, give up on the form of church government... ...that is established by law in England. Um, It's been so effective... That um, the social order is 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 disrupted. Um, there's discord. There's disunity, um, and uh, this he says that you know they his opponents liken themselves to to Mary of Bethany, who have chosen the better part. Um, but he says this is a really dangerous way to read scripture because. Um, if you try to set up a different kind of church order, a different kind of way of or, uh, ordering uh, the affairs of the church than one that's actually established by law, then, you know, this is effectively treasonous or seditious because it's leading to a disintegration of social cohesion. So um, this is not choosing the better part at all. Um, but, so that you can just, it, you, you just assert this, but of course... He says, if um, they've been misreading Scripture, he has to say, well, how if that's the wrong way to read it, what's the right way to read it? So he starts off, he says, The the first means that nature provides for us to distinguish between good and evil in laws, as in everything else, is our own judgment. Paul confirms this when he says, I speak as to wise men, judge ye what I say. That's from 1 Corinthians 10, 15. Or when he says later, Judge ye in yourselves. Is it seemly that a woman pray to God unveiled? 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen. 13. Yeah. Our Savior himself required that the Jews exercise this faculty. Luke 12, 56 and 57. And Scripture commends the Barians for it. In Acts 17. Whatever we do, if our own secret judgment does not consent to it, the same is sin, even if it be permissible... And therefore, St. Paul says, let each man be fully assured in his own mind. Romans 14.
0: So what I love about this, this whole, and this is, I think this is part of the reason why whenever Richard Tucker is taught, they use this image of the stool, right? Mm. Of the scripture, tradition, and reason. Because what I love about this is he's saying, look, if Paul can appeal to the reason of the listeners as he's teaching them the gospel for the first time, if if he can if he can rely on their reason, then surely reason is an appropriate is an appropriate way for us to like it. It it it, it exists as a kind of truth separate from scripture. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. Which now here, is, here you know, of course, in the in the reading the or the translation I just read, it doesn't he doesn't say reason. He says good judgment. Eh?
0: Judgment. Good yeah. judgment.
1: Yeah. So um, you know, it's not. Kind of the rational faculty operating by itself, but it's you know using your, using human understanding to make critical judge, judgments. You know, like yes. to suss out what your experience is. It is put it in conversation with the scripture and so forth, and judge, discern, mm-hmm. just uh, you know figure it out.
0: And people and people are capable of doing that. And he's yeah. where that's really relevant is if you're in a they're in a time where people are saying, "Look, it, it doesn't matter that this doesn't make any sense. It's in scripture, and therefore this is how we're going to do things." And he's like, "That's hold on a second. The, the, we have to start with the fact that every person is capable of good judgment,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: that's that's a relevant category in our discussion. And you need to take that really seriously."
1: Yeah, he's got he's piling up these um, scriptural quotations. Um, without really um, explaining them, but, but perhaps more uh, just saying, you know, here, here here's the plain sense of them. Um, yeah. and, uh, and but the, the cumulative effect is to say, look, the scripture itself tells us to use our reason, to use our judgment. Yes. This is not some strange notion that has come in from somewhere else. So he he, he He's addressing his opponents on their own grounds that they're you know they're always reverting to the scriptures to prove their case, um, <laughs> so he's right. gonna he's gonna yeah. he's gonna start
0: on the same level. Yeah, he's like, don't forget. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Okay, let's let's keep going to uh, argument uh, part part, part the, two, part two here. In
1: in some matters, things are so obvious that even men of ordinary intelligence can readily distinguish truth from falsehood and good from evil. Yeah. The things necessary to our salvation are of this sort, whether it has to do with things to be affirmed or denied, or with things to be done or avoided. This is why Augustine says such things are not only set down, but plainly set down in Scripture, so that whoever hears and reads may understand without great difficulty. Other things of lesser importance must be done by Christians, but because they are more obscure, intricate, and difficult to judge, God has called some men to spend all their time studying them, so that in doubtful cases they might be a light to direct others. Galen says, If reason is like sight, and not all have it in equal amounts, why should it not be that just as clear-sighted men direct those of less sight, so, too, in deeper matters, the wise should guide the simple in their way. Yeah. Who can deny that? As far as legal disputes go, lawyers should be our guides in difficult matters. So it is in all the other fields of knowledge. Our Lord himself has appointed that the priest's lips should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Malachi chapter 2, verse 7. Gregory Nazianzus was offended when the people dared to overrule the judgment of those men to whom they should rather have submitted their own judgment and entreated them to know their, their bounds. Quotes Members of the flock, do not seek to assume the role of pastor towards your pastors or try to exalt yourself above your station. It suffices for you to give good pastoral care. Seek not to judge your judges or give laws to the lawgivers, for God is not a God of confusion and disorder. But of peace and order.
0: <laughs>
1: End of the quotation.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, uh, I, I just, it's, I mean, it's so interesting. I mean, we're recording this the day after some very weird stuff happened down in the States with, um, mm. I guess weird is an interesting description, but um, with sort of mass civil disobedience, um, the president of the United States tear-gassing protesters to hold the Bible in front oh. of an Episcopal church. That's our denomination. Yeah. Um, very, uh, you know, surreal. Um, it's interesting to read this passage where he's, you know, I mean, and there's mass civil disobedience in its own form in, in, in Hooker's time too, right? Yeah. And people are challenging, uh, you know, clergy authority. People are absolutely challenging people like the, the Pope and the senior leadership in, in, in the Catholic Church for sure. As well as in the Anglican Church, as well as the the, the king or queen, right? Yes. Um, so we're getting a, he's,
1: he's a conservative in this matter, you know. There yes. there are people who, well, there are things to which everybody has access, and he affirms that, as you pointed out. Um, so he prefers to a custom, but he says there are other things that are debatable, and it's good to rely on experts, <laughs> which, of course, as you point out, it's not universally thought to be a good idea these days, um, but and but, but that that includes it in the life of the church. There are people who are actually, you know, ministers of the gospel who have uh, uh, have their own field of expertise, and so the faithful should listen to them.
0: Yeah. And and to be fair, like I think where he carefully sets up his argument is he's not. I think some of the things that people are protesting right now about having the freedom to not be, you know. Uh, Attacked or killed by police officers mm-hmm. for minor crimes like that. I think that falls under some pretty obvious, yeah. a pretty obvious, stark moral reality that needs to be adjusted. He's talking about you know building up, like building a new nation, um, yeah. building a new denomination from scratch, right, disregarding centuries of canon laws and structures, like just. It would be like, you know, coming in church saying, okay, I've decided this week in church we're just not going to do anything like we would normally do. I'm just going to... I've built a new liturgy this week and we're going to do it. Um, And and don't worry, I've built it entirely around the Bible because there's this passage that I'm, I'm bringing to life. You know, I think, you know, we're writing laws saying, you know, someone who's not a lawmaker just setting down to write a series of laws to govern a nation. Like, those kinds of choices, like... Uh, you know, there are certain people that have that given their lives and careers and have spent decades studying these things to disregard that wisdom is is not right uh, wise.
1: Quite so, yeah. Because one of like one of the the um, you know in the previous section, one of the the um, texts that he refers to is from First Corinthians, Paul saying, you know, um, judge whether or not a woman should pray unveiled. So um, yeah. that's, a, that's a, a question of church order, right? That's, it's not a matter for your eternal salvation. Um, it's, a, right. it's a question of discipline. Precisely the kind of things that, that's interesting for his adversaries. So what does he say? What are we supposed to do? Well, he says, Paul tells us, use your, you know, think about it. Think it through. It's a matter of discernment. Um, yeah. So it's not just scripture alone. You have to judge Precedence. You have to weigh the relative value of these things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay, let's keep going.
1: All right. So, section three. You might reply that if... <laughs> this is so, it's like, here. here's my <laughs> argument, but you might I say in response, them. this is great. You might reply <laughs> that if the people's guides are blind, then the rest must certainly not close their eyes and be led by them. Matthew 15. If the priest has shown partiality in the law then the flock must not depart from the way of sincere truth and naively follow him merely because he has authority. This is true, but not a good defense in this case, because however convinced you are that you are in the right, this matter is far more complicated than one in 500 of you can imagine. The uneducated among you should be aware that even the least of the changes you are so set on involves all sorts of debated issues that you have no conception of. I do not say this to make fun of those who are ignorant but because I genuinely want them to realize that what they are so doggedly convinced of is a very very complicated issue and that they run the risk of falling under the condemnation of the apostle who describes those who rail at whatsoever things they know not Jude yeah. 10 <laughs> Yeah
0: <laughs> I mean and this is I mean you can you can look at all kinds of aspects of our church and society you can look at parliamentary structure and parliamentary debate you can Mm -hmm. look at how we govern our church through synods and through you know parish vestries and the way that those meetings are structured and organized right yes you know um you know we don't just open up the floor to changing canons and you know have a pure democracy around writing new laws you know quite yeah
1: um and, you know, there's a, in our, you know, highly kind of democrat, democratic kind of age, uh, we might bridle a little bit at his saying that, you know, there are, in fact, some people who don't, who know more about these things than other people. <laughs> um, yeah. And that um, if you're not well-versed in these things, you should be aware that, in fact, it's more complex, more uh, way more complex than you might have ever imagined yourself. But, you know, especially when things are in upset and disorder, as even we're living today, people want simple solutions and simple answers, right? Simple description well, of what's get, going on.
0: Yeah, yeah and he's going to get to the fact that the passions sort of confuse things. Like, for example, I'm totally comfortable saying, well, they're the experts. They know how to do it when I'm, like, getting on an airplane. Yes. You know I don't, as you know, when there's turbulence, I don't think, why doesn't the pilot just do this? Or why doesn't the pilot, you know? <laughs> I just think, well, you know, he's an expert. Like I don't know what the you know the you know, yeah. flight path that it shows. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't really care. I'm completely dispassionate. Right. I'm totally comfortable deferring to experts. Absolutely. But when it comes to something else like that I'm passionate about, like for example politics, mm-hmm. you know, suddenly I'm like, shouldn't we, you know, what? why don't we just do it this way? Or why yes. can't our whole society be reordered in this way?
1: Yeah. Put me uh, in charge. Or,
0: Yeah. Uh, Okay.
1: Okay, so he goes up. Maybe I'll just read five and six, because they're both
0: quite short. Yeah, we we haven't done four, though.
1: Oh, sorry, yes, quite so. (laughs) getting ahead of myself. So, Calvin himself said, men in private life are disqualified from deliberating on the organization of any commonwealth to dispute over what would be the best kind of government, with a desire of bringing in some other kind than that under which they already live. For I take it, this was Calvin's meaning. If we grant that private men could not determine these questions without rashness, since most of them involve very particular circumstances, and any of them can be supported by as many reasons as the next, why on earth are we asking these men what they think the best form of church government is? In matters of public policy, a great deal more insight and experience is needed than these people can possibly have. Some of those who argue for your discipline go so far as to admit that they are not certain about where the truth lies and if they are uncertain what certainty can the multitude have?
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean how? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah
1: that's sobering. Work.
0: Yeah. I don't know. That speaks for itself. <laughs> I, I think it does. <laughs>
1: Uh, and you know you built you know I, I think we can see ourselves in here because, as he goes on, if you think carefully about why people favor your cause, you will see that the reasons you allege could never carry them along unless they were accompanied by other certain attractions which always attract the people, regardless of the cause in question, yeah, uh, which I take to suggest that yes, we have to use our best judgment, but we're not we're not just brains on sticks. <laughs> our passions, as you say, also carry us along or make us favor some set of arguments over another set of arguments.
0: Well, yeah, and he's also saying, I think this happens a lot, you have a particular, what I, what I read, this is, and this is five, this is uh, yeah. five. Um, I'm thinking about certain policies, certain choices, you know, you think about these, when you look in the history books, you see these very, very obscure, you know, de- debates that people are having and, they look, like, really academic, um, but, of course, underneath the surface of this very intellectual debate on a particular policy or a particular law are all of these extra passions and reason, reasons mm-hmm. and teams, and and people tend to be debating not the actual specific, specific law or specific change. It's, it's often carried by all this extra stuff, yeah. this extra baggage, right? Yeah. Um, and we see that all the time in politics, where sure. you know, you're not, they're not really debating policy, they're debating, they're a part of a team trying to push a certain um, almost vision or passion across the line as opposed to a particular policy.
1: Or at, the, or at its basis, you know, as long as our side wins, yeah, it, it kind of doesn't really matter what the, the, the issue is.
0: But how confusing when it comes to our side, but it's never just our side. I mean, it's not literally, you're not putting a ball across a line. I mean, our, you know, it's, there's always a particular law or a particular policy or a particular choice that's being championed. It's never just a side winning, you know?
1: Right, and, and it's interesting. In 6, so yeah, I'll just read yeah, this. Yeah. He says, this is the method of winning people over to the cause, as you call it. First, they are always attacking the superiors with great zeal and indignation. Which usually gives an impression of integrity, zeal, and holiness, since people tend to think that such people would never be so offended by sin unless they were quite good themselves. Um, yeah. So this is kind of this. This speaks to um, our day as well, when uh, you know the yeah. uh, the, the um, again, kind of pre, pre, I mean, sorry, I guess it's always been the case, but presentation, it, the the style, the, the rhetorical style, the. The, the online presence um, is at least as important, if not more so than, than the um, content of what you're saying. So, you know, if you, do it with enough, well, if you do it with enough passion, people think, well, they must be right, you know.
0: Well, and they presume the content. Like, that's what he's saying, right? Like, if, you, if you're passionate enough yep. in excoriating your opponent, yes. they assume not only do you have integrity and all the rest of it because you have such passion on the topic, but they assume you're right? Because this is a good person, and they're passionate, and I can only presume that they're you know, this is that they're that they're they're correct in in, in, in taking down this particular opponent. Quite so. Okay, let's. let's uh, so he says. So
1: yeah. So yeah. second, they says second, they attribute all the trouble in the world to the established church government. So just as they become known for their virtue by their relentless criticism of the authorities, so also they become known for their brilliance since they claim to have uncovered the cause of all the world's ills. I just put it, a little, I alone can fix it. That's brackets. He doesn't say that, but we've heard sure. that before.
0: But, I, but, but don't you find, I find that that's how a lot of our debates on both sides go, right? Sure. I mean, there, is this, there is this sense of, you know, obscuring a lot, uh, obscuring some really, the potential for some really reasonable discourse is this highly passionate, you know, for example, I mean, I'm, I'm somebody that I, I love the idea, for example, of a universal basic income but i do see that that argument right now in these covid times champion is like this is the policy yes that will save us yeah when i mean you know yeah it's, I mean, it's yeah. just it i don't know
1: i mean he, he's got a, there's a dose of realism in here as well he says you know um, sure you can point to the faults but you he goes on you could also point to faults in the way ancient israel actually lived the problem wasn't the laws themselves i mean the prophets themselves condemned these things he says um the problems, every stain and blemish found in the church today, these spring from the roots of human frailty and corruption, and yeah. thus not only are, but always have been, and for all yeah. I know, always will be complained of until the end of the world, whatever form of government prevails. Yeah. Um, you know, I think he's, uh, he will go on in, in this vein, but, you know, he's addressing what uh, this kind of perennial temptation in the church, I think, to Imagine, um, you know, once upon a time there was this golden age, when we had everything was right and well ordered, and we did it exactly according to God's laws. But everything since has gone to hell in a handbasket. Um, mm-hmm. But it's but he's saying it's always been a mixed yeah. lot. It's always been marked by frailty and corruption. It's that's just the way it is because we live in history, and yeah. um, can't quite forgive God for that, but. Uh, uh, well, and he also
0: this, and he also seems to describe, you know, also just out of reach, is this yeah. better way? Is this new order? Is this new form of government? And if we can just, if I mean, it's it's just, it's like it's just out of reach, and yes. all we have to do is just remove these current barriers and structures, yes. and it will fall into place, sort of in this very natural,
1: right? So he says, way. absolutely, he so says third. Having captured men's imaginations, they put forward their own form of church government as the only comprehensive solution to all these problems and sing its praises to the sky. Just like sick men, those who are unhappy with the status quo will imagine that anything they hear praised is the answer to all their problems, but most of all, that which they have least tried. (laughs) Yeah. Funny, anyway.
0: That's so good. I mean, we're, to be honest, this is not my natural disposition. Like, where I, 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 I think I mentioned to you before we, we started this that I feel like I've, i I'm. He roasted me a little bit. <laughs> I am someone who thinks, you know, if only we could make this little change, yes, well, things yes. would be so much better. And I'm like, oh my gosh, he's just roasting me. Yeah, that there.
1: Yes, it should temper all of our utopian. And I'm a, as much a utopian idealist as the, as the next. <laughs> guy um, that you know there is if we just adopt this missional strategy if we just adopt this stewardship method if we just adopt this form of church organization all will be well and it looks great because we haven't yet tried it (laughs)
0: Exactly, that's, that's the comedy, the comedy is, you know, for some reason, we've been a part of this church, the church has existed for 2,000 years, nobody has done this before, <laughs> it's so <laughs> obvious.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah he'll lambaste he'll, he'll that further. Um, yeah. So, shall we go on? Um, yeah. He says, fourth, uh, they make men understand certain words in such a way that whenever they read scripture, they imagine that it is constantly advocating the Presbyterian cause and attacking the current church government. Pythagoras taught his students to believe so strongly in his metaphysical theory of numbers that they imagined that everything they saw confirmed that numbers gave essence and being to the works of nature. Though this was impossible, a bad preconception made them as certain as if God had written it everywhere in bold letters. When the family of love gets it into their head that Christ is not an individual person, but a spiritual quality of which many partake, and that to be raised means to be regenerated or filled with this spiritual quality, and that whenever those who have this quality separate from those who lack it, this is judgment. No wonder they imagine that Scripture is always siding with them. This is why the simple and ignorant think that Scripture is all for them. They have planted in their minds the idea that an elder always refers to a layman elected to office in the Church, a doctor always to a teacher, never to an administrator of the sacraments, and a deacon, always to the one in charge of the poor box. Similarly, they are taught that the scepter, rod, throne, and kingdom of Christ only refer to a church with pastors, elders, doctors, and deacons, and that Mount Zion and Jerusalem are churches which include these things, while Samaria and Babylon are the churches which exclude them. In the same way, they hear that when Ezra Nehemiah and their followers repaired the walls and decayed parts of the city and temple of God, This was a foreshadowing by the Holy Spirit of what the authors of the admonitions to Parliament, the supplications to the Council, and the petitions to Her Majesty would do and suffer for their cause. Uh
0: And of course, I mean, you know, I mean, it's easy to sort of throw stones at other people. I I find what I love about this, like I feel, I mean, this is me, I mean, in the sense that I... I mean, I'm someone that I, I learned a new framework for seeing the world. I, I, I got accredited for the Myers-Briggs type indicator. Mm-hmm. And, and so now everywhere I go, when I see certain yep. personalities or certain uh, characteristics that a person has, I'm like, I'm trying to find a way to type them into that thing. I yes. mean, like, you know, I, I, I learn a really compelling new way to look at scripture and suddenly I'm seeing only that interpretation yes, of scripture.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Um, when, when you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail kind of thing. Yes, yes. Uh, but, yes. you know, this is, and, and you're so right that um, we often neglect to recognize that we've already got some kind of interpretive frame. Yeah. And so he's saying, you know, if you get into your head already that certain words and so forth are to be understood in such and such a way, you, will, you can't help but see it repeated over and over again. I mean, there's the ad thing that somehow, he doesn't say this explicitly, but um, it's as if, you know, whatever Ezra, Nehemiah, and the rest were on about back in the day, um, only now does this actually uh, have relevance, and it's uh, only now when we are bringing our admonitions to Parliament and petitions to... Her Majesty and so forth. Uh, only now do we actually see the full force of it. Now only now uh, do these things become uh, uh, of the moment.
0: I I find, and I find this is so hard. Like as somebody who preaches on Scripture every week, I, I remember way back, like when I was in seminary, it just blew my mind at the time. Was a New Testament professor, and a lot of a lot of scholars of the New Testament aren't. They very much partitioned out their understanding of the church from their understanding of Scripture because mm-hmm. there's quite a, a gulf between the liturgical reality of a church service in 2020 and what they were doing 2,000 years ago. Sure. And I remember this is a very sort of decorated New Testament scholar, and they said, what if when Paul is talking about, you know, he's using the words of Christ, and he's saying, whenever you do this, do it in memory of me. What if she meant, what if he, what if Paul meant every time you eat together? What if, what if Paul was not talking about a Sunday Holy Eucharist, but simply talking about whenever you break bread together, yeah. do this in memory of me. Whenever you eat together, do this in memory of me. And at that time, I was like, you know, I, I just, it sort of blew my mind that that Paul, because of course, the, those words from, from Paul, yeah. those are the words that we use for the Holy Eucharist every Sunday. And that's yeah. always how it's been since I was a little kid. Sure. You know the idea that those words were not meant to be contained within an Anglican Eucharist. I don't know. Yeah, blew my
1: mind. Well, indeed, whatever else is going on in First Corinthians eleven, it's mm, I think it's fair to say it's not yet really what we would call a Eucharist in quotation marks. Um, That is, you know, might look more like the church potluck, but Mm -hmm. um, I mean. One of the realities uh, for Paul and his community is, you know, every meal is a sacred gathering. Um, we we don't usually associate the church potluck with a sacred gathering. We have our kind of stylized little meal that that, that carries all the freight of the sacred. But that kind of line doesn't exist um, at no. the beginning. Uh, now, you know, it's a whole other subject, but you know, I think. Personally, I think there's a legitimate trajectory of how these things develop but, um, uh, Absolutely. but, but your, your, your point is and, and, your, and your, your prof's point is we always bring a frame of interpretation yes uh, and uh, a degree of humility is needed in order to recognize that
0: yeah Yeah. okay let's, uh, let's keep going here
1: okay Um, From this, uh, their godly leaders go on to persuade those ready to believe such things that they alone see these things in Scripture because of a special illumination of the Holy Spirit, even though others who read Scripture cannot find such things. Hmm. St. John warns us not to believe every spirit, 1 John 4, 1, and the Holy Spirit leads men to the truth in only two ways, one extraordinary, the other common, one belonging only to the few, the other to all that are of God. These two are special divine revelation and reason. If the Holy Spirit has secretly revealed this discipline to them from Scripture, they must be claiming to be prophets. However, if they have actually been led by reason, they must be able to show that every last one of their arguments warrants their commitment to this discipline, since in matters of reason the strength of our persuasion must depend on the strength of our arguments. If they cannot do this, then there must be some other reason explaining their conviction. As a matter of fact, often when men's passions instead of their reason lead them to believe things, they are even more zealous than usual when they defend their error than they have a right to be, given the evidence we find in Scripture. Some things are plain, such as basic Christian doctrine, while other things are more difficult, such as church government, and we should only be as convinced as reason, guided by the Holy Spirit, permits Therefore, it is not how passionately someone is convinced, but how soundly they argue that should persuade us that their views genuinely come from the Holy Spirit and not from the deceit of that evil spirit so strong even in
0: his illusions. This is why we're reading Richard Hooker. Yeah. Right? I mean, this is the jam. I mean, how crazy. Like, I just love this, this bit. At the The Holy Spirit leads men to the truth in only two ways. <clears> one extraordinary the other common one belonging only to the few and the other to all that are of God. And then he goes on. And then this is that, that these two are special divine revelation mm-hmm. and reason. Mm-hmm. So like, that's, that's so cool that he's essentially saying, if you, if you are leading an argument in grounded in reason, you are guided. by I think this is what he's saying. You are guided by the Holy spirit. The Holy spirit is working through that, which is true and yep. that, which is reasonable.
1: Yeah, and, but you have to you have to make your you have to make your case. You can't yes. you, you can't just say the Holy Spirit told me this. You have to show
0: it. Yes, um, and it's and that's the spirit that everybody possesses. Yeah. or can possess.
1: Yeah, it's not how passionately someone is convinced, but how soundly they argue, and yes. and be, and that will show you that it's generally of the spirit. So, you know, if you like, uh, the spirit of God Himself is bound by reason or is not going to do things contrary to reason,
0: you know, it's it, it so I mean where this is fun for me, like I don't know who's listening to this. If you're listening to this and you're an Anglican or you've you know you've been exposed to the Anglican tradition, this this is sort of one of the I think the core charisms of, of our tradition that makes us seem simultaneously to be quite serious and boring. <laughs> <laughs> and on the and on the other hand kind of defend that that character and quality in our tradition really to an extraordinary extent right. I mean we're very, very resistant as a tradition to uh, incorporate deeply passionate stuff mm-hmm. into our um, into our culture, into our worship experience, into sort of our decision making and it's and it's from this it's from this mindset, right that yeah. the Holy Spirit works through our shared reason together. And yes, there are moments when you have you can have special divine revelation, but but the Holy Spirit is is, is, is something that, that can be grounded in, in in sound argument and and that's important for us, and that's how we make a lot of our decisions, and that's why we'll have a very, very serious meeting that's very structured and organized, and at the very end of it we'll say the Holy Spirit was present with us as we made these decisions together. Hmm. Right? Yes. so good Okay, so
1: after the common people are thoroughly convinced that the spirit has persuaded them of of these things then they learn that believing in this form of church government is a sign of being born of God and that earnest love for this discipline is the surest way to distinguish God's people from all others this has caused them to use terms that sharply distinguish between themselves and the rest of the world they call themselves the brethren, the godly and so forth while the rest are termed worldlings, time-servers, pleasers of men, not of God, and so forth. Ouch. Yeah. Um, I mean, he's talking to the reality of party politics in the church as as anywhere else, isn't he? Um,
0: Yeah, well, I mean, because because if, if, if the Holy Spirit is primarily special divine revelation and not something that's shared through reason, then absolutely there's going to be folks that are filled with the Holy Spirit and thus by definition almost separated right I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and the, and the Holy Spirit has revealed these things and if you don't agree with me that means you're obviously not filled with the Holy Spirit yeah right yeah. And, and and that must make me special and that must make you not
1: indeed yeah you delegitimize your opponents Ugh. when does that ever happen <laughs> 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 yeah yeah so let's see, he goes on and says, Because of this, such people are led to believe that they must do everything they can to strengthen one another and make themselves manifest to the world, lest they quench the spirit. This makes them especially eager to listen to whoever is of their party, to take every opportunity to have secret meetings with them, to be directed and counseled by them in all important matters, even those having to do with contracts and wills, and even to forget their daily business because of their insatiable desire to hear their leaders thinking that, like Mary, they have chosen the better part. This is what makes them ready to give and even to overgive to those of the same cause, lest their zeal go unnoticed. Indeed, with such incitements, how could poor, beguiled souls do otherwise? So long before social media and everybody in their own little uh, kind of social media bubble saying, like... You know, once you start devol- dissolving into into partisan uh, camps in the life of the church, you only listen to the people who agree with you. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh. It's funny. I, yeah. No. I it's it's yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, I think um, to, to take one instance of in in recent uh, debates within Anglican Church of Canada and elsewhere, you know, on the matter of same-sex marriage, it often seemed like people talking right past one another. Uh, Yes. Whether pro or con or whatever, um, there was, although everybody was calling for dialogue, it rarely seemed as if there was an actual engagement, but rather, you know, either people rehearsing all the reasons why this was a betrayal of everything from the Last Supper until now, or that this was, you know, the new movement of the Holy Spirit, but you know it was like closed groups talking within themselves mm-hmm. and not to one another. At its worst.
0: Yeah, it's funny. It's it's I, I find yeah if I if I allow my mind to sort of go to like what Richard Hooker's critique of the way we sort of handled that debate and discussion over the last ten years. I think a big one that I would not go to if it wasn't for him would be. I'm not sure that we collectively as a church trusted the, the actual church governance process Mm. that we built. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there's one, one side, the, the, the side that was sort of against this resolution would say, look, you know, I'm appealing to scripture. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, you know, if it's in scripture, then that's all, that's the only argument that I need to make. Right. But then I think the progressive side was suspicious saying, look, the Holy spirit is acting and working. Why are we, Adhering to these archaic governance structures, you know, why are we putting these things mm-hmm. to a vote? Why uh-huh. are we waiting for all this stuff? You know, yeah. the spirit has acted, and we need to we need to respond and abandon some of these archaic, right, yes. political yes. structures that we've built. I mean, isn't the church more than than a sort of a parallel parliament of some kind? Yes, if, that would make Richard Hooker crazy. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Yeah, as say, it's, it's complicated, folks. It's not it's enough to say. It's not world. enough to say. You know, Scripture says this is an abomination. Or on the other end, all yes. you need is love. Yeah. yeah, like it's more complicated than that. Um, yes. So and um, that, yes, you know. and
0: you can honestly follow my own ministry. I find the longer I'm doing the work of a priest, the more affection I have for the the doctrines, disciplines, and canons of the church, because they don't they don't prevent me from following Jesus, they protect me uh, and guide me, yeah, you know? Yeah. No, he... Um, yeah, I would have never said that 10 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> we grow in wisdom, we hope. Oh, uh, dear.
1: Okay. So so let's see. So he goes on. It has also been observed that disproportionate effort is expended to win and persuade those who in judgment are weaker because of their sex.
0: Oh, this one's... This is... This is this is
1: fraught. Anyway, I do not think did, that these... I did
0: not highlight this section.
1: Well, <laughs> we'll just we'll just go with it anyway. anyway yeah, I, I do not think that these women of the sort St. Paul describes as laden with sins, 2 Timothy 3, 6, since they are otherwise disposed to holiness and edified by good things, not carried away captive to sin and evil by those who enter their houses and plant a zeal and love for the cause. However... There is reason to think that if the cause really were founded on sound arguments, its leaders would not try so hard to succeed with those who have least ability and judgment. This eagerness to proselytize them, it would seem, arises from the fact that they are apter helpers of the cause than men. Apter are they because, regardless of which side they are on, their great eagerness of affection makes them diligently draw in their husbands, children, servants, friends, and allies after them. After are they because of their natural inclination to pity, which makes them readier than men to be generous to their preachers when they suffer want. After are they because they have many opportunities to encourage the brethren. Finally, after are they because they especially enjoy sharing news with one another about where all of their friends and neighbors stand when it comes to the cause. <laughs> yeah, so
0: he's talking so he seems to be describing, you know, this, the, 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 the Presbyterian cause as it were sort of seems to be targeting women yeah. and encouraging them and, and with the with sort of logic that if we can if we can draw wiz, women into the cause they'll bring their families yeah, they'll you know I mean it's
1: uh, yeah he's got his um, cultural baggage as well
0: um, sure, but I mean, you can. You, I mean, you you look at the twentieth century advertising industry uh, and all the commercials right. that they intentionally focused on women. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, no, quite,
1: quite so, quite so. I
0: hear, um, I, this, yeah, I feel like as two dudes, though, we're going to go on to fourteen. Yeah, I think we. <laughs> I think we'll just move on.
1: Let's just yeah. yeah. Uh, but be they women or be they men, if once they have drunk the cup of this persuasion. Let anyone who thinks differently open his mouth to persuade them, and they will close up their ears and refuse to consider his reasons. They have their answer rehearsed We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. 1 John 4 6. And as for the rest, ye are of the world, and speak of the world's pomp and vanity, and the world, whose ye are, hears you. This cloak fits just as snugly on them as on the Anabaptist. whenever anybody confronts them with the dignity, authority, and honor of the magistrate. Show these eager men their inability to judge in such difficult matters, and they answer, God chose the foolish things of this world. 1 Corinthians one yeah. twenty-seven. Convince them of folly so plainly that even, their, even children rebuke them, they have their retort. Christ's own apostle was thought mad. Acts 26. The world has always accounted the best men to be out of their minds.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I mean that's. I feel like in the Christian world, when when you have to use that argument, you know, you've lost. Like that's. Yeah, and yet I've used it. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's it's <laughs> a way of
1: saying you know I I can out spiritualize you any day of the week. You know, even even yeah. though your arguments. Yeah, this is. Uh, I I graduated from a. a, a Trinity College, where uh, the uh, sort of self, uh, the ironic self-mocking chant was, you know, no, no idea shall ever come near to us. <laughs> and uh, oh, funny. there's uh, something of this in people who are, um, uh, you know, so committed to the cause that they no longer are able to listen to any other kind of argument.
0: Yeah. Well, and that and that mindset can can happen in 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 both incredibly deeply conservative parts of the church but also deeply progressive Absol- parts absolutely absolutely yeah you know yeah we, we've, we have the way and nothing you can say will convince us otherwise even if we look insane yeah Christ's own Christ's own apostle was thought to be mad. yeah yeah
1: our very uh, folly is confirmation of our wisdom yeah <laughs> So he says, then he goes on, uh, When instruction does no good, and we give them the smallest, mercifully tempered severity, they fasten on the head of the Lord's ministers on earth whatever they find written against the cruelty of bloodthirsty men, and apply to themselves everything written in Scripture about the innocent being persecuted for the truth. Indeed, they are no less proud of their well-deserved sufferings than those ancient disturbers whom St. Augustine wrote about, saying... Those, then, who suffer persecution on account of injustice and on account of the impious division of Christian unity are not true martyrs, but those who suffer persecution on account of justice. For Hagar suffered persecution from Sarah, and Sarah, who did this, was holy, while Hagar, who suffered persecution, was sinful. And the Lord himself was crucified along with thieves, but the reasons for their suffering separated those whom their suffering united. If the true church is the one that suffers and does not inflict persecution, let them ask the apostle which church Sarah symbolized when she persecuted her serving girl. He says that our free mother, the heavenly Jerusalem, that is, the true church of God, was in fact symbolized by the woman who mistreated her serving girl. But if we examine the question more carefully, that girl persecuted Sarah more by her pride than Sarah persecuted her by restraining her.
0: So that last section is, is him quoting St. Augustine. Yeah.
1: Not, this the, not the easiest you, argument uh, for people yeah, to follow. Yeah, can
0: you... D- did you follow that argument, Uh
1: Well, <laughs> okay, so he start, he's, I think so. He starts off saying, um, you know, people who are, like, the, in this case, the, the Presbyterian party who is, um, perceives themselves to be persecuted by the laws of the land... Will read everything in Scripture about um, innocent suffering as applying to them, and everything written about yeah. you know overweening tyrants applies to those who are doing the the uh, you know the magistrate and those who are bringing down the law. Um, and so uh, he's so he's quoting Augustine, who's saying, um, you know. Um, Oh, okay. <laughs> Let's see, how do we get into this here? Um, yeah. So he's, refer- so he's referring in, in Galatians, Paul is making uh, a distinction between Hagar and Sarah, and this is what, um, what Augustine is referring to. Um, so Hagar you know, is the concubine of Abraham, gets driven out by Sarah, and... Um, I don't know uh, what it is
0: about preachers. Preachers throughout history love that story. They love to preach that story of of, of Hagar. I don't know what, I mean, it always makes me uncomfortable every time they do it. Yeah,
1: it's like just because you're persecuted doesn't necessarily mean that you're in the right. Uh, The the thieves who were crucified on either side of Jesus were suffering just as he was, but um, there was a difference. Hagar suffered, but she was in the wrong.
0: Yeah, that I mean I think that that's yeah I think that makes sense it's a, it's a it's a very strange and dense argument but um,
1: yeah especially since yeah. I you know um, we might have some fine Paul's exegesis of that <laughs> but uh, the main, story from the main, Genesis could be difficult yeah
0: yeah. But like the main point is, is 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 something that happens often, I think, especially when yeah, it comes to yeah. s- to moral argument, yeah. is the side that's being persecuted claims the persecution as further um, yeah. reinforcement that they're correct. Yeah,
1: absolutely. You know, and he's just saying it ain't necessarily so, especially no. if I think in this case, uh, because of you know the, the part from Augusta that he's uh, quoting is that. Part of the clue that they're, they're probably in the wrong is that um, they're disturbers, like the unity of the church is being affected here, and that's a, yeah. that's a grievous matter, yes. and probably an indicator that the people who are disturbing the unity of the church are in fact in the wrong So he ends up this section saying, "These are the last section. Last there we go. We're we're closing in. Got the whole thing highlighted. (laughs) These are the paths in which you, the only private citizens, have walked. These are the very steps you have trodden, and this the school in which your guides and directors have trained you. You've inclined your ears so that they are full of the faults of your governors. You attribute those faults to the spiritual government under which you live." You are bold to claim that your discipline will solve all the world's evils. You regularly redefine everything so that you think Scripture everywhere favours your side. And finally, you say that the reason you find it in Scripture is by the illumination of the Spirit. You think this is a seal of your nearness to God, and accordingly you must use all means within your power to nourish it within yourselves and to strengthen your minds against whatever might be said against it. So there, minds. he's he. That's it. Just concludes this whole this whole yeah. uh, part, part three,
0: chapter three. here there's the summary. Yeah, this is the uh, you know the internet the tl uh TLDR, too long didn't read, <laughs> right? This is the summation of the whole chapter. Yeah, boom. Yeah, you right could if,
1: forget everything we've said up to now. Here's Hooker's right. thing in in nice succinct fashion. Um,
0: yeah,
1: all, you only listen to you know the people who's arguments have already bought and so all you can hear are the faults of your leaders Um, everything is due to the fact that you live under a corrupt system of of church government your solution is the only solution that will solve all the world's evils and you find confirmation of this wherever you look in the scriptures it's kind of you know if you ever somebody's observed that uh, if you wanted to um, find Uh, test that you're uh, in the face of an ideology consider if if the person is saying that it is true universal and inevitable you're probably dealing with an ideology and I think that's what (laughs) what uh, Hooker doesn't use these words but he's he's effectively saying this is what they're saying it's this rule that they've discovered applies everywhere in every circumstance and must have its way um And that's proof that the uh, the spirit has il- has illumined their minds.
0: Um. Yeah. well i mean and, and what I love is that is 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 his his pathway out you know one of the scary things I think in some ways about the time that we're in is the scare. for me the scariest form of debate is seeing very clearly. Um, a cause that I disagree with using this argument mm. and then seeing the 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 arg- the people that are the cause that they are arguing against is a different form of this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right Where both sides are describing an inevitable yeah. clearly obvious you know solution, clearly obvious problem. There are clear good actors and bad actors, clearly defined. And their side will ultimately win. The other side just needs to get out of their way. And it's it's a really scary thing to see sometimes to live in a world where there are several of these arguments layered on top of the other. Yes. And and what I love about this is he's saying, look, that the pathway out is not is none of these, like there's no simple solution. Mm-hmm. Human beings will always be flawed. Yeah. We will, no matter what you build, we will always be you know in harm's way we're always going to have problems yes but the path is basically just this careful reasoned you know it's probably going to be long established let's stick to what has already been built and let's make it work for us yes you know, this is the solution right yeah it's this careful reasoned argument that's the pathway out of this yeah sort of highly polarized time
1: Yeah, lest anybody think, uh, you know, leave uh, the conversation today and think, you know, it's hopeless. You know, there are only competing camps and there's uh, uh, no way to find a solution. I think you're right. You know, he's not going to leave us there. Um, There is a way forward. Um, And it's going to be, require some hard work. Um, You know, at the beginning in, you know, when eventually we get to, we're just in the preface to the whole thing when eventually we get to when eventually we get to, to chapter one he's going to say you know in effect if you, you know if you don't like doing the hard work of thinking these things through then you know go off and play your video games or something like that because if you can't stand the heat get out of the ecclesiastical kitchen because this is this is not easy um, it is possible now he, you know he's uh in the end, we might say that uh, uh, to some extent, everything is a bit provisional and ad hoc in this world. But he's by no means a complete relativist. You know, one one uh, approach is just as good as the other. He know, no, no, there's some there's some real standards on which to to work. But it's it is work, and for anybody who wants a quick fix, you know, uh, Richard Hooker is not going to give you much comfort.
0: No. But also there's there's something beautiful about it too, and there's something joyful about it. Mm-hmm. Because what this what this mindset also says is I'm willing to hear the arguments of anybody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. If you can if you can craft for me, show I'm, me I'm yeah. prepared. Show it to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah. I'm, pre- I'm prepared to change my mind. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's a refreshing uh,
0: Yes. And and if you can if you can change my mind due to the reasons of your argument and the sound judgment that you have conveyed. Then I will know it's been led, it, you are led by the Holy Spirit, and and
1: maybe that's part of why Richard Hooker has his perennial appeal because you know I mean he's writing for a, a particular time and place, of course, but um, you know in succeeding decades and centuries within the Church of England, people have quite different views in very different circumstances find that, you know, he sort of rises above the fray or rises above the particulars of the, the issues of the day and speaks in ways that uh, that help people to do the hard work of figuring out what it is to live the Christian life together here and now, which is perhaps why we're kind of excited by him too, is that, you know, he still speaks yeah. to us, he still
0: does. But but and I suppose there's another. There is an asterisk all this too, though, especially in this sort of time when there's a lot of civil unrest, mm-hmm. right? And civil disobedience. Is it also requires both all sides to buy in? Yeah, yeah, right yeah. to the to whatever the governance system is, and and that's um, you know, I mean, he's he's talking about you know the Church of England, mm-hmm. where if you live on English soil, you it is technically for you. Yes. Um, um i don't know it, it there's there's an element of um that's a part of his solution actually is 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 sort of a broad um uh inclusion of everybody yeah
1: and it's, it still depends yeah it depends on you know it's one nation and one church uh you yeah. know we're, there's a link you know monarchist though i may be at heart this is not the world or the the grounds on which we you know our alliance with the monarch is not the grounds on which we commend our form of the church today. (laughs) No, no, that's true. That has definitely changed.
0: Well, and you can make an argument, although I don't think it's the the time to make it here, but, you know, I... The Anglican Church in Canada, when we removed the monarchy from it, Mm -hmm. um, its ecclesiology is more confusing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, that's true. That's... uh,
0: Which is neither... Which is... I don't know. Yeah. I don't want to go to Subject for another day. <laughs>
1: why should there be an why should there be an Anglican Church of Canada? Indeed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> says says anyway, says yeah. two people who are deep and complicit in the belly of the beast. Anyway.
0: <laughs> yeah. Anyways, uh, you know, but this is but this is the fun of of, of Richard Hooker as he just I don't know, there's something there's a hilarious lens that he forced, that he points on to me and my beliefs that I few other authors I've encountered do, and it's a lot of I think it's a lot of fun. Yeah. So, um, thank you. I think this is great. Um, I think we're at about an hour or so. I think we are. I, I had a suspicion. I had a suspicion. We had said last week we were going to do chapters three and four. And when I finished chapter three, I thought, you know, I feel like we could do an entire episode just on this. Yeah. And we did.
1: So we'll go on to four next time.
0: Yeah. And four is when he turns his focus from essentially the lay people who are attracted to this, uh, presbyterian tradition to the clergy mm-hmm. and uh the first line as for those of you who are a lantern to the rest <laughs> and mold the hearts of others uh so it's it's going to be uh so that's a really that'll be a fun follow-up next uh, next week yeah Thank you, uh, Kevin, great so much for thanks your jeff
1: great all right bye-bye, bye-bye.